All right. Good morning, everyone. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus today. Can you do that? Good to see you. I uh, am so excited for this morning. I know that uh, I know that God's got some great things in store for us over the last few weeks. We've had quite a few new people who have come by and uh, reserved their seats online for our church. So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, please just know how much we love you, how much we care for you. And uh, we're glad that you got to come visit us. And for all those who are online today, just one more time, can we welcome the online uh, community today? We love you guys. Uh, We're praying for you as well. And uh, remember, if you have any needs or if there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. Okay, so uh, I'm in a new series. Uh, We just started a new series last week, and I want to jump right in. But I think I, I want all of you to know that there definitely is an agenda for this, uh, there's, we're going somewhere because in a few weeks we're going to ask everyone to do something. And this is really important because uh, in this uncharted territory that we're in with a global pandemic and uh, with everything else that is happening in the world right now, it's really important that we try to all stay on the same page and that we're all moving in the same direction. And a few weeks from now, we're going to be uh, talking about our groups. Now, the fall season is typically when we would jump in to do some connect groups. We do our connect group semester, and, uh, but we're gonna do something a little different. Now, I'm not gonna talk about that this morning, but I just want you all to know that that really is where it's going. I'm trying to, to set the stage. I'm trying to lay a foundation for something that I think is gonna be really important for us in the next few months. And uh, of course, you know, we, we talk about it every week. You, you almost have to. Um, but we are definitely in a season that we've never been in before. And we have to keep addressing it. We have to keep talking about it. We have to keep praying about it. Because there's some really exciting things happening in the world right now. And uh, there's, there's difficult stuff, but there's also exciting stuff. And I believe we're going to have some exciting things happen this fall. Can I hear an amen? All right. So we'll get into that. But I am laying the foundation for that. And uh, over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll kind of systematically lay out for you what we want to do this fall and, and perhaps for the rest of the year, all right? So let's pray, and let's ask Jesus to bless our time together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I do come to you with an incredibly grateful heart. Uh, this morning, I just sensed the presence of God here. I could sense it before the service. Uh, I'm in my office praying, and I, I could just feel the presence of Jesus in this place. The Bible says that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, there you are. And it doesn't matter if we're in a room together. It doesn't matter if we're online together. It doesn't matter if we're in a Zoom meeting uh, or around the world. And for all of those that are around the world today and throughout the week who will hear this message, we pray that you'd bless them. We pray, Father, that you would anoint them and cover them. I'm going to pray a special prayer this morning, if if that's okay. I want to pray this morning for uh, Pastor Leo Kaler, one of the great apostles in the nation of Japan. I don't know how many years he's been there, over 50 years probably. A dear friend of ours who has uh, contracted uh, this virus and, and this week, yesterday and today, he is in the hospital and he is fighting. And I do pray, Jesus, that you would touch his body this morning. I pray for healing. I pray for miraculous healing. I pray for, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet that you would heal his body. We, we rebuke this virus. We bind its effect on his body. And we thank you, Jesus, for supernatural healing. And we thank you, Father, for all of our friends in Japan this week who might hear this message 
across the country, across the country. I remember so many decades ago when God was just starting to move in Japan and our Bible college students were just starting to make their way back over to the country. And now there are literally hundreds of churches. I pray, Father, that you would bless the churches, all of our friends, all of our leaders in that nation today, and that you protect them and keep them healthy and strong and give them wisdom. And I pray today, Jesus, for our own church. I pray, Father, you bless our house today, bless our family. I pray, Lord, you keep us healthy, continue to stir in our hearts the things that you're doing, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you'd stir our hearts, stir our minds. Let us think about you. Let us meditate on you. Let us find you at a deeper level during this season. I pray that this season wouldn't drive us farther apart from you, but it would draw us close to you because that's what struggle should do. Struggle should bring us closer to you, Father. So I pray that you would come and that you bless us and love us and embrace us and comfort us. I pray for our city today. I pray that you bless our city. I pray for all the city leaders from, from the very top, from the governor all the way down through the ranks that you would watch over our city, bless our leaders. I thank you, Father, for peace in our city. I thank you, Father, that you're going to continue to pour out the peace of God in our city. I pray for every church. I pray for every pastor in the state of Colorado that you'd bless them, that you'd keep them, Lord, that you'd help them to understand how to navigate this season. Give each of them wisdom, Lord, an anointing according to their own uh, city, where they're located, what their, you know, all of the restrictions are, but, but, but Lord, what are you speaking to them, Jesus? What are you saying? How do they pastor their people? So today, we just, we just love you, Father. We just give you the glory. We just think you're incredible. We think you're amazing. And we realize that you are involved in everything that we're doing today. You are involved. You are inter intricately and intimately involved in our lives and in uh, our church, and we're grateful today in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. All right, put your hands together one more time for Jesus. Okay, so here we are. Uh, we've, we've just begun a new series, and I, I really feel that, that uh, this is an important time because, because, you know, we've been through now over six months of, of COVID, and I know you're watching the news, and I know you're praying, and, um, you know, I'm watching my hometown where we come from in Portland, Oregon. I'm watching you know, riots every night, and I understand the difference between protest and riots. I get all that. I just, you know, I've been praying for our home city of Portland because the downtown there is destroyed, and there's many people that have been affected, and, and I just can't help but find myself in a constant, in a constant just state of intercession, and I just find myself praying all the time. I don't know if there's a, a moment during the day where I'm, I'm not sort of distracted with with someone to pray for or, or something that's on my heart or a friend with a church or a congregation that I know. And I find myself there all of the time. And I, I, I feel like there is a season that we're in where I do think that everybody, I think the whole body of Christ is being repositioned into a place of prayer and intercession. I, I really do. I think you almost can't disconnect. Like you used to disconnect, but now we can't disconnect because the need is always right there in front of us. It's right in front of our face. And I think that's a good place to be. I really think that, you know, that when things start to go a little nuts, I think the Holy Spirit begins to move and I think the church begins to pray. Now, I do believe with all of my heart that the church needs to pray and I think that when the church prays, things begin to happen. Now, I don't know what everyone's doctrine is. I don't know what everyone's theology is. I just know what my doctrine is and I know what my theology is and the Bible says that when my people will humble themselves, which I think is so important right now, 
The humility part of that verse, I think we, you know, in, in, uh, we just, we kind of lose the humility part. We always go, we want to pray. But you know, even our prayers can become kind of arrogant if we're not careful, right? But I think if we can humble ourselves and if we can pray, then uh, God will then hear and he'll heal our land. I think we have to pray. I think that there is a new wave of prayer that is, that is hitting the country right now and, and around the world. I think I want to be involved with that. Uh, we'll probably do some fasting and prayer this fall in some organized way. We're just kind of working through the calendar and, and some of those things right now. But, but we're in an incredible season. We're in a, in a time that we will never forget. And um, I, I made a joke last week about masks and you know, just how now we're, we're, we're going to stores and we're picking out masks and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I care about what my mask looks like. And, and has anyone lost a mask? Has anyone spent a lot of money on masks so far? I, I never didn't realize I had to have a mask budget in my life, you know, because I, I, if I lose my wallet and I lose, I lose my watch and I lose my car keys, I'm gonna lose my mask. Okay, man. So, um, there's just a reality that we're in right now and I'm, I'm getting up every day and I'm saying, you gotta get us through this. Now, the series is called Uncharted because these are uncharted times. These are, it's an uncharted season. Uncharted is defined as not shown on a map, very simple, unexplored, explored, unknown, a place or a region that has not yet had people in it. Nothing's been mapped out. It hasn't been charted yet. The word uncharted means that we're going someplace where there's no map. Um, there are, even as, even as far back in the Psalms, there are scriptures where, where David wrote, uh, and he would, he would talk about, there is, uh, how can a young man find his way, David wrote. Well, that word way is the word for, for rut. It's a place where um, all the wagons or the, the horses, or they would move um, on a certain path and it would create ruts in the ground. Now, we don't wanna get in a rut, amen? But the point is, is that you could follow something. The, the word way, he said, how can a young man find his way? In other words, there's no pattern, there's no trail, there's no rut, I can't see where we're going. Uncharted is a, is a concept in the Bible that's real. It, it, it hits all of us as pioneers, those who wanna see God move, and the early missionaries, they were people who believed in, in going to places that were uncharted. And still today, there are some people groups who have been uncharted. There are still some places in the world that have not had missionaries, and they haven't heard the gospel in their own language. There's still an uncharted anointing on the church, but uncharted simply means that as Christians that we have a responsibility to also explore what has, not been, what has not been charted before. We're supposed to go there, we're supposed to reach, we're supposed to have that, that sort of power and fire of God in us that says I'm gonna go forward and we're gonna see something great happen wherever it is that God calls us to, to go. So it's uncharted. And, and the metaphor that I, that I have been using, I used last week, uh, I got from a book called Canoeing the Mountains. And for any of my leadership friends out there that are listening this week, I want to recommend that book to you, Canoeing the Mountains. It's by uh, Todd Bolsinger. It's probably one of the top five leadership books that I've read in the last few years, but I think it's incredibly apropos for where we're at right now. It fits our season. I think almost more than any book that I've read, it fits this season that we're in right now. And he simply talks about the journey that Lewis and Clark made. Okay, so just for a little bit of review. Um, when Lewis and Clark set out from the East Coast to go across the country, they were commissioned 
to find what was called the Northwest Passage. Now, the Northwest Passage was that, that, that passage that, went, that took the East Coast to the West Coast right in the middle along the Continental Divide. You were supposed to be able to go over the Continental Divide, go up a hill, come down the other side, and see the Columbia River. How many of you know it doesn't work that way? But because they had, it had been, never been explored, no one had ever seen it in 1804, in 1805. No one had ever seen it. But they assumed that it was there. And there was actually a race to find the Northwest Passage because whoever could find it would actually control the trade routes. That was the reason for that. They wanted to control the trade. And so they took off with about four dozen men and they made their way across the country, mostly in canoes uh, in the water. And so they would, they would navigate rivers in canoes and they finally got to over to a state in Montana. They went up to the top of the hill. They were carrying their canoes literally on their backs and on their sides and they went to the top of the hill. They thought they were going to come over the other side of the mountain, see the Columbia River, put their canoes in the water and take off and head for the Pacific Ocean because really that's the, des the destination was the Pacific Ocean. So they got to the top of the hill, they crested over the top of the hill, they look out in the distance and they don't see a river, they see the Rocky Mountains. Could you imagine the discouragement and the surprise that they saw when they saw the Rocky Mountains? And here they were, and I think I, I said it last week, but the, the largest mountain they'd ever seen was about 5,600 feet um, above sea level, which is about you know, 60 or 70 feet beneath your church seat right now. They'd never seen anything higher than that. Where we live every day was the highest thing that they'd ever seen in their life. And now they're looking at the Rocky Mountains, and one of them looks over there and he goes, those are the most horrible mountains I've ever seen. And then they have a conversation and they figure out what to do and then they had to face this, this challenge. They had to ask themselves a question and the question was, what do we do with our canoes? Because canoes is how we got to where we are but canoes aren't gonna get us where we're going. We've, we've gotta go from being water navigators to mountain ears and mountain, ears and, and mountain climbers. We have to buy horses, we have to find a guide, we have, to, we have to find our way through this thing and we don't know where to go, it's uncharted. And the world that we're living in right now is it's uncharted. Now, what's interesting is you, as you read about their life and you read about their story is that everything that they had done to prepare for this journey is what really defined them. I mean, they had studied science, they had uh, studied botany, they, had, uh, they wanted to discover new animals and new species, which they did, I mentioned a couple last week, two of the 176 new species that they found of plants and animals, one was the grizzly bear and one was the Douglas fir tree. And so those are the kind of uh, experiences they were having. But they studied, they, they, um, they prepared themselves for a long period of time. It was their social media, so to speak. It was their reputation, all of the equipment that they had purchased, all of the training that they did, all the preparation that they went through, all of it was wrong. It only got them to the bottom of the hill. And once they discovered that the Northwest Passage was not real, it wasn't real, it didn't exist. They realized that who they are had been defined by a myth. Everything that they have done and their very identity, who they are as a, as a group of explorers, everything that they had prepared for, everything that they had said, their very identity, the clothes on their back, the equipment that they carried, their entire journey 
had been defined by a myth. Have we been defined by a myth? Has the church hit the bottom of a hill and we don't know where to go? You see, so many people today are saying that as soon as this passes, things are gonna go back to normal. I would like to present to you today, I'd like to suggest to you that things will not go back to normal. I'd like to suggest to you that I, I hope some things go back to normal. I really do. Like, I'd like to get to the place to where this building is full again and we can get the whole family together and worship Jesus. Come on, somebody, right? Wouldn't that be great? But there are some things that will not go back to normal. I don't know if masks will ever not be a part of our life again for at least for another decade. I don't, I don't know if we will ever really feel the same way as a generation about germs. I hated germs anyways, I hate them really bad now. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, 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 I'm a completely different person from the inside out. Has the church though hit the bottom of a hill and realized that if we don't transform something, we won't be able to make the journey and finish the race. We have a generation that has not heard of church. We have a generation that doesn't have a history with God. We have a generation that doesn't know what it means uh, to read the Bible. They don't know any Christian lingo. They don't know our language. They don't know our traditions. They don't even understand sometimes why we come together in buildings. They don't, they don't get the whole thing. Their whole life, they've been raised on technology. And, and so our, our, my generation and a little older, so I'm a Gen X, my generation and a little older, you know, sometimes we even reject technology. And we're like, you got to go old school. You know, old school is the new school. Well, kind of not really, if you think about it. Old school is, some of it's just old school and it doesn't work. And so here we are at the bottom of this hill. What is the myth though? If we have bought into any myth that we need to address, I think in the body of Christ, this is what I think it is. I think that the myth that we have bought into is that the church can have services, but not relationship. I think that might be the myth. I think it might be this idea over the last 30 years that we can build services and, and build buildings and that we can, we can have conferences and we can fill the room. And I love all those things. You have to understand how amazing those things are. The Bible even describes moments like that. There were gatherings in the Bible. But I think if we've bought into anything, it's that we can have church and we can live as fulfilled Christians but not have deep, meaningful relationships. And when you look into scripture, you realize that there were, there were times in scriptures where, where they had gatherings, but they also had the other side of the coin, which was deep, meaningful relationships. Now, some of that came through persecution. Some of that came through building the church. Some of that just happened because when you're in something together, you get close. You build friendships. You build relationships. That's why we like to say, hey, everyone needs to serve in the church. Everybody needs to be in a small group because somehow in all of this, the serving piece of this brings you together and you build relationships. But there's been a myth, I think, that we've bought into you. You start thinking about how much time pastors and leaders and leadership teams put into just a Sunday morning. And again, that's not wrong. We will never stop doing that. But most of our leadership has been, we got to have church on a Sunday 
and everything has to be perfect. And because of the generation that we're living in, if things aren't perfect, people don't come back to the church. Now, part of this I understand, but we have to start putting as much time into relationships as we do the parking lot. You hear what I'm saying? We might put 20 hours of work into the parking lot and two hours of, of work into building relationship. And if that's the case, we may have bought into a myth. And that is that we're gonna be able to go in and reach this next generation without meaningful, authentic relationships. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. So today's message obviously is, uh, is called Defined by a Myth. So what they realized is this, is when they got to the top of the Rocky Mountains and looked over the top and they realized that there was no Columbia River on the other side, they had a choice to make. The choice is, well, we found it, so now we can go home. Or hey, we found out, and now we can keep going. So the decision between going back and going through was another revelation that I think we need to, to have. And that is that we're not called to find things, we're called to cross things. We're not called to find something, we're called to cross something. And that was their revelation. They realized that they were supposed to get through the Northwest Passage, but it wasn't so that they could find it and go home, it's so that people could cross it and get to the Pacific Ocean. Our job is not to find things, our job is to cross things. What do you do when you find something you weren't expected? That's the question. The question is the thing you, you realize, the moment of clarity that you have is on the journey is that when you all of a sudden face some things that aren't going well, you go, oh, wait a minute, I have a choice to make. I can go back or I can go forward. Oh, I guess the, the truth is I'm, I wasn't just called to, to, to face a challenge. I was called, I am called to go through the challenge because I'm going somewhere. We're not called to find something, we're called to cross something. Did you all know that we have a destiny in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I hear an amen? The Bible calls us sojourners or pilgrims on this earth. We are just passing through, baby. Come on. We will not be here forever because our journey is heaven. But a lot of Christians, what happens is we get in the middle of the walk, we get in the middle of the journey, and the Christian life gets difficult and it gets hard, and we go, I found it. I don't like it, I don't wanna go that way, I don't wanna cross that thing, so I'm gonna go back to the way life used to be. But what we need to understand is, is that we were all called, we were made, we were literally made and created to face challenges. God put eternity in our hearts, he put a calling on your life, he gave us the great commission, and he says your job as, as you breathe oxygen on this earth is to cross over, to face challenges, and to be a witness for me. And someday, it's all gonna be done, we're all gonna be in heaven together, but don't hit the tough times and then go backwards. Hit the tough times and go through it. And get to the other side. Face what's uncharted and chart it. Become those kind of people that don't ask questions, but you have answers. And the only way to have answers is to go places you've never been before. You gotta cross it, you gotta go. And so we're always looking ahead and trying to decide. These are what we're gonna do. These are moments of clarity that we have to have. And in life, there are lots of times that you could have this kind of clarity. I think that companies and businesses face these things every day when they talk about their products. I was watching the TV this week and just listening to some CEOs and it was just some random television show, but I, I, I thought about this. A company could say, are we called 
to build great cars or are we called to build factories? If you're in the food business, are we called to make great food or are we called to open restaurants? I love coffee. I have a special relationship with with the God's nectar. Are we called to serve great coffee or do we just want to have a coffee shop? Are we called to make disciples or are we called to have services? See, there, there is a difference. If all we want is the big thing, but we don't want to wrestle with the small things, if quantity is more important than quality, then we'll have a church with services and no disciples. And, and I'm not trying to you know, cast any disparaging anything on anybody, no shadows on any. I'm just saying that, that there are times in certain places where I've been where, where I know that there is a lot of people and very little word. And, and again, I, I've been there. I mean, it's not easy to, to preach every week. It's not easy, but it's like, what, what are we building on? And I understand demographics, and I understand how to, how to handle demographics and what that means to you in culture, the culture of your city and the culture of your people. And you gotta build bridges of, you know, you gotta build the bridge of relationship to get the truck of truth across. That's an old, old teaching. Get across the truck of truth. And so you build that, and so you gotta go climb a mountain with them. No. You gotta go get a bike and ride a bike. No, I don't like mountains or bikes. If you, don't, if you don't get outdoors, did you know that Denver, Colorado is the second healthiest city in America next to San Diego, California? I heard that. I'm hoping it will happen supernaturally. I hope that when I arrive there, my blood pressure is gonna go down. And I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna get healthy just by being next to healthy people. I'm, I'm doing my best. But there's nothing that I can do. If all I do is try to relate to somebody at the surface level because of a culture or a demographic, but we never find each other in friendship and relationship around some greater truth called the Bible that says, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross. I can't ride a bike with you because I don't want to, but I will help you pick up your cross and get you over the finish line. I will help you with your cross I will lay down all those things that don't mean anything at the end of the day if it means I can pick you up and help you get to where you're supposed to go. This is the impetus of the gospel. The gospel is not built on cultural norms. It's built on biblical, unchanging truth that impacts every culture in every language with every color of skin in every corner of the planet. And the gospel is still moving even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the middle of tension in the West. I'm telling you, the gospel is still being preached and people are still being saved. And so we have to, we have to make sure that we are dedicated to discipleship as much as services. Now, don't misunderstand me. Services can disciple people. They really can. Seriously. We, we can be here and we can learn about the Bible. That's why it's important to always preach the Bible. If you don't preach the Bible, then people are hearing good stories and good oratory skills by some, but they're not learning Scripture or learning truth. So it's really important that we understand that good discipleship leads to better services no matter what size of service it is. You can have a service with 10,000 people and it can, be, it can be just not an anointed service. 
It, it may not build anybody, but you might hear some great charismatic preaching. But if, if discipleship is added to the body, the services get better by the nature of what is happening on the inside of a person's life. Can I hear an amen? It just gets better. So we don't wanna be defined by a church without relationship. We have to know what we're called to do. We have to know what the church's mission is. We're not faced to find, we're faced, we're, we're, we're not called to find something, we're, we're called to cross over. So what are we called to cross over? What is our mission? What are we supposed to do? And I felt this morning, I wanted to talk about a couple of things that are important for the body of Christ to know that they're called to do. This is our mission. Our mission does not start with reaching the whole world. Our mission starts, number one, with having a personal relationship with Jesus. Why is this personal relationship with Jesus so important? I remember, I remember as a youth pastor, um, we youth pastored for about 18 years full time. That is a long time to be a youth pastor. Now I know a lot of guys who youth pastored that long, but the average span of a youth pastor's career is about two years. It's actually a little less than two years. But it's hard to know anybody, it's hard to get to know your kids if you're there for less than two years. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to make it at least four years because I wanted to see one class of kids walk with me all the way through um, our youth ministry years, my wife and I, so that we walked with them all the way through and then when I got to the four-year mark, I realized there was a new group of freshmen. And I was like, oh no, we need to do it again. And I blinked and eight years of our life had gone by. And another 10 years later, we were still having that same revelation. And our relationship with them was drawing us closer and we, we couldn't let go. What I saw in those years that made me wanna stay so long was that young people were going to church and when they would graduate, something would change. Their Rocky Mountain experience happened right after they left the youth group. They, they, would, they could go to camps, they could go to conferences, they could go on a missions trip, they could lead, they could do all kinds of stuff, they could, they could lead worship, but there was something happening at the, at the age of 18 when they would graduate and across the country, there were people that did, that did studies on this across the country on young people in youth ministries and between 70 and 80% of young people during those years in the late 90s into the 2000s that there was about 80% of them would leave their church community, leave church and not serve God after graduating from high school. And the reason is because we could, we could throw the best camp you've ever seen. But are we called to make disciples or have camps? Are, are we called to have conferences or make disciples of young people? How is it that we were, we were pointing 
young people towards bigger because the bigger drew more crowds and the crowd drew more finances and the finances allowed us to have more crowds. But in the middle of it, I'm not sure if we discipled the way that we should disciple. And so Donna and I were so called to be disciple makers that we just got over the fact that when I was 31 or 32, I was supposed to pastor a church and have my own church. And we thought about it at 36 that we were supposed to have our own church and 37 and 38 and 39 and 40 and 41. And every year we, we say no, because we're not addicted to church. We're addicted to disciples. Are you with me this morning? Because the, the real addiction comes when you see people's lives being radically changed by the word of God. And there is no greater feeling as a youth pastor to see young people in your church go out all over the world and build bigger churches than you have and write more books than you've ever written and have more reputation. Every time that we sit at home and we see one of our young people as a conference speaker or something about their church or, or watch them, we just sit there and we don't get competitive with our own young people. We go, come on, we made, a, we made a disciple. We may never, we may never talk to them. They're on the other side of the planet with their 100 churches or 200 churches or 300 churches. We may not talk to them maybe once every few years. But there's something in us that says, I, I am willing to sacrifice all of our energy being put into the big if we can get something powerful out of the small out of relationship. There's, there's nothing that's more powerful about this than sitting around a table with four or five people, sharing what God has done, laying hands on them, maybe with rubber gloves on or whatever you gotta do, and praying for them and watching them break down into tears and see them with friends and relationships begin to heal from what's going on in their life and to see something change inside of their heart, that is just as powerful as an altar call here in church. And so I just think that we have to make sure that we're called to build relationships and build a relationship with Jesus. We have to point people towards Jesus. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified means it's a, it's a legal declaration in which God pardons the sinner of all his sins and accepts and accounts the sinner as righteous in his sight. When you were born, you were gonna walk a life and you were gonna make mistakes. Jesus has forgiven you and pardoned you of all of your mistakes. And now what this does is, this gives us the ability to stand before God as righteous. We stand before God as clean. We don't have to feel guilty when we stand before God. One of the reasons why so many people don't have a personal relationship with Jesus is because they feel like they can't stand in his presence because they're not good enough. We're in right standing with God. Right standing with God means God's calling is dependent upon your ability to approach him. If there's one thing that you have to understand about God and your personal relationship with him, is that you have to cross over your own flesh, your own insignificance, your own struggles. You have to know that if you can't stand with before him, he's not gonna be able to mold you and shape you. And because you're justified, you now have the ability to stand before God clean. Even if you've, even if you've made a mistake this morning, you can still stand before God because of what he's done. I love this verse in Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. Everyone say grace. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You have to be able to stand before God. One of the, the worst experiences that a parent can have is when your child doesn't feel that they can approach you because of what your response is gonna be. And as parents, we're constantly evaluating our responses to make sure that that child, regardless of their mistakes, their victories or their failures, that they can approach you as a parent so that they have someone who loves them beyond their mistakes, that they can approach you. God loves you beyond your mistakes. You can approach God. You have been forgiven already for, what, for whatever mistake you made, that he loves you. But if you can approach him, if you really are justified, then you're also qualified. Some people can't approach God, and so they don't approach God, but in not being able to do that, they also feel like they're not qualified to serve God. Now, I wanna say to you, I think that a lot of this gets worked out in church, but some of it gets worked out in a small group where you just sit around and you talk about what it means to be justified and what it means to stand before God and who's qualified uh, to serve God. But those struggles that we have in standing before God, they will also cause us to struggle in what God has called us to do. So you need to know, number one, the first thing that we're called to do is have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because when things go wrong, you don't go to your pastor, you don't have to go to your spouse, you don't have to go to the internet, you don't have to go to a friend, you can go straight to Jesus, come on. That's the first thing. And the second one this morning is this, that we are called to discipleship. If we're going to cross over and not just find something and go backwards. We have to remember that we're, we're called to discipleship. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, everyone say disciples, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. There's two parts to this verse. The first one is the come after part. To come after doesn't mean just to follow behind. It actually means to learn. If you'll come after me, if you'll learn, you can be my disciple. The word here, one of the definitions, it's, it's the idea of something being stamped. Something gets on you and it doesn't go away. It actually is, it's the word where we, where we kind of get the word emboss a little bit when something is embossed. To come after God means that the, the truth of God and the word of God is embossed. It's stamped into your heart. And then it says, let him deny his, himself, take up his cross. And that cross means to sacrifice. So we have to learn and we have to be willing to sacrifice. We're called to be disciples. We want Jesus to emboss something on us, to put something in our heart so that we can, so that we can learn and then follow him and, and sacrifice and, and build the, uh, the kingdom of God in the local church. So my, my message this morning, I'm gonna wrap it up right here because I wanna pray just for a minute is that we, met, we have to make sure that we are not living our lives as Christians defined by a myth. And the myth is that we can have church but not have relationship. We have to make sure that, that we understand that the Rocky Mountain, the Rocky Mountain of this generation is face-to-face -face love, support, 
care and understanding in a world where all of that is being pulled apart. Where we spend most of our time on the internet, a lot of time on our iPhone, we're the Netflix generation, and we wonder why we can't reach people in a world where we should be able to reach them faster. It's because we're using what God has given us to build services and not disciples. It's very important. So I want you to stand with me this morning, okay? And we're gonna take just a minute as we close and I'm gonna pray. And we're gonna ask some questions this morning in the prayer and then wrap this up. But what we wanna do in this next season is just talk about discipleship and how that happens. I'm hoping that as we get to our, our groups here in the fall, we want as many people as possible to be involved with a group. We really do. We want, we want everyone to just kind of shake off the old, whether you've been in one or not been in one. I think the last time we had a semester of groups, we had about 50 groups and our groups were growing. I would love to see us go way beyond that. And if you're online watching from wherever you are, uh, we would love to have you be a part of our groups as well, because I know that a lot of you have engaged with our church every single week. And uh, especially from around here in Denver, we would love to have you involved as well. But let's, let's do a, a prayer this morning and ask God to help us to become great disciples and not just great, great churches, but great disciples. Okay, so bow your heads with me. Father, this morning, we come to you humbly with an understanding that you have done so many great things in our midst. You've done so many things that are wonderful. We're not complaining. We're, we're actually celebrating. We're celebrating the goodness and the grace of God. We're celebrating the spirit of God that is moving. But today, Jesus, I pray, Lord, in a time when services have been stopped and all over the country, there is contention and strife, even inside of your own body, Father. I pray that you would bring us back to what is vitally important, and that is our relationship with you, Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would put in our hearts a hunger to not just, not just be in a service, but to be in your presence that church would not be something on a checklist. It would be a time to celebrate in your presence. I thank you, Father, for the grace of God that's being poured out on, on the church. And I ask you today, Lord, to lead us into the new, that we would not define our Christianity on something that can't take us where we're going. So today, Father, we just love you so much. Now, church, I know that we come from all different places. We do different things, but I'd like you to just lift your hands a little bit with me. I'd like you to repeat this prayer after I pray it. Now, now the hands and the arms, by the way, in Scripture, all the way through Scripture, represent our life, our work, our successes, our victories. The Bible uses the word hand, hands all over the scripture. And then it says, lift up holy hands in, in Hebrews. And what that means is that we're lifting our entire life up to Jesus. And we're saying, Lord, we give you our lives. So lift your hands with me and pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful today that you love me and that you have forgiven me. Today, Father, my desire 
is to become a disciple. I thank you for grace and I thank you for your love. But set a fire in me to want to know you more. Set me on fire, Jesus. Stir my heart to be in your presence. And Father, this year, in the middle of all this, I pray that we would become closer and not more distant. I pray, Jesus, as I open my heart, that I would know you more and grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, put your hands together. How many of you, uh, how many of you want to be disciples? Come on. Let's build disciples, not just services, okay? God's good. One more time. Clap your hands and let's, let's go out with a song. Amen.